and reading that, Michael's going to come speak to short one. Uh, it's taken from John 33 to 37, verse 18. Uh, Pilate went back inside the palace, son of Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk about, or did others talk to you about me? I am a Jew. Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. Thank you. So uh, this morning, as we continue our current series, we're considering another title of Jesus and looking at Jesus, as we've heard, as the King of the Jews, the title that he was addressed uh, with from his birth to his death. Now, I want to take us through three questions. What are the origins of this title? Who addresses Jesus with this title, King of the Jews, and why? And what does it mean for us today? So, what are the origins and meaning of this title? Well, God's people had been expecting a deliverer since God first promised one following the fall of humanity. God himself delivered his people, the Jews, known then as the Hebrews, from their captivity and slavery in Egypt by their uh, oppression uh, by the Pharaoh, uh, the king, as we saw on the screen, one of them, and told uh, them that as long as they followed and obeyed the Lord God, he would bless and guide them. But the children of Israel, in the hardness of their hearts, rejected the Lord God as leader and demanded an earthly king. You see, they wanted to be like the nations around them, especially militarily. How tempting it always is to be like those around us. To follow the crowd and the trends and the patterns of this world. God warned them of the consequences but gave them what they wanted and appointed Saul as the first king over Israel, we could say the first king of the Jews. However, Saul disobeyed the Lord, he was rejected by God and his sons were not allowed to succeed him on the throne. You know, there's nothing new uh, under the sun. God speaks through his prophets in scripture about the shame that our rulers, even our princes, can bring upon themselves and their people. 
In a way, our rulers are just like us. They simply reflect back to us what our society, what we are like. Next, God chose David, the youngest and overlooked son of Jesse. He had a man after his own heart to be the next king of the Jews. And in those days, the kings of Israel were anointed with oil. In fact, our queen was anointed with oil when she was became queen as a sign of God's choosing. They were known as the Anointed One, which translated as the Messiah. And God promised David that his name would be forever associated with the throne of Israel. And he makes promises through his prophets about a son of David, a future Messiah King, who would be birthed in Bethlehem and rule from Jerusalem. And David, of course, wrote a number of psalms, a prophetic psalm 22, which gave Israel hints about what their future Messiah and Deliverer would endure. But again, in their desperation for an earthly king and an earthly kingdom, many Jews disregarded those prophetic words, as well as the ones in Isaiah 53 and elsewhere. But when Jesus came, he fulfilled those prophecies and was rightly titled the King of the Jews. So who addresses Jesus as King of the Jews? Well, when we come to our New Testament, we see a number of people referring to Jesus with this title, Basilius Tom Euadion, King of the Jews. It can mean King of the country of the Jews, or King of the Jewish people, or king of the region or people of Judea, the Judean king. So who refers to Jesus in this way? Well, it's actually the Gentiles, the non-Jews, rather than the Jews who use this title. You see, though Jesus is the king of the Jews, he's not recognised and received by them, but is rejected as king. John wrote of Jesus He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So which Gentiles? Well, famous ones, the Magi at Christmas time. Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. These wise rulers, believed to be from Persia, have this concept of a divine king. They worship such a king as though he were a god, even as his own star, a sign in the sky at his birth. The Jews in Jerusalem, of course, hearing the Magi's question, would have thought of the long-awaited Messiah born in Bethlehem. It's 30 years yet before Jesus is to step uh, kind of into the limelight, as it were. And of course at that time uh, there is Herod and Herod's infamous reaction to the new king on the scene. Well, Herod is horrified. It's understandable for a man who had fought to get to the position of power and wanted to cling to that power. In fact, Herod himself had been granted the title of King of Judea or King of the Jews by the Roman Senate. This was his kingdom, his area. And of course, this newborn king, Jesus, was an inconvenient threat. And Herod had seen off threats before. 
many of them. One of them being the assassination uh, of someone in 35 BC, an Aristobulus III, whom Antony and Cleopatra were planning on making the new king of Judea. Well, Herod got rid of him. And for Herod, you see, the massacre of the boys of Bethlehem was no big thing for this cruel, power-hungry king. So Jesus is titled King of the Jews at his birth. The next time we hear him called this is at his death, or as he uh, enters that time of his death, by Pilate, the Roman governor. And we'll come back to their encounter in a moment. Also at his death are the soldiers. The governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around them. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. And then as they crucified Jesus, the soldiers continued, If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. You see, they understood that a proper king would have the power to deliver himself from this fate. But this king, Jesus, was to be mocked and abused. He was a king under their power, in their grip. He was a powerless pretender to the throne. He was a ridiculed ruler. We even find this title, King of the Jews, written for all to see and read on the crucifixion notice. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. Matthew tells us that this was the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. See, the claim to be King of the Jews was a highly charged political act of sedition. It was an act of uh, lese-majesty, an insult to the majesty, to the crown. It was a treasonous act. A capital crime by Roman law. And there it was, written above his head for all to see and read in their own languages. So it's the Gentiles who refer to this Jesus uh, with this title. However, the chief priests of the Jews also do make mention, but they do so in the form of an objection to the wording of the sign that they felt it legitimised what they believed to be Jesus' erroneous claim. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. We have Pilate's famous reply, what I have written, I have written. And it's still written for us. This was the title And the charge that Jesus dies with. Jesus is declared to be the criminal king. 
the condemned Christ, the maligned Messiah. We also read how the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked Jesus as he hung there and referred to him with a similar title. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. See, the Jews failed to see God as king in the person of Jesus, reigning from the cross before their very eyes spelt out for them and they soundly rejected him. Indeed, so did the Gentiles. We all did. We all rejected Jesus as our king. The world rebelled. So what about Jesus? Does he ever refer to himself as the king of the Jews? Well, he certainly spoke of himself as the son of man who has a kingdom, a kingdom that also belongs to God the Father, and he teaches much about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. He claims to be able to give the keys of the kingdom of heaven to others. To his disciples, he says, I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Certainly his followers believed that Jesus was a king. One of Jesus' disciples very early on declares, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. But it seems that his own disciples' understanding of the nature of Jesus' kingship and the kingdom was very much coloured by their earthly understanding. One instance, the mother of James and John asking that Jesus might grant that one of these two sons of mine, my two boys, might sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. See, hungry for power and honour and status. And the people, of course, at one time, enamoured by Jesus' power, we hear intended to come and make him king by force. But Jesus knew of this plan. He was having none of it. He withdrew uh, again to a mountain by himself. He was king on his terms and in his way and in his timing. Indeed, Satan himself tempted Jesus with earthly kingdoms. See, Jesus tells a parable about a king who is to come and be rejected by his people. He quotes, we don't want this man to be our king. Jesus, uh, Luke tells us that after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. He rides into Jerusalem upon a donkey, heralded and adored as the Messiah King, as the scriptures foretold. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Here's a picture of the, the Messiah King's coronation procession towards his crowning and his enthronement in the city of the great King. The Palm Sunday crowds exclaim, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. 
In fact, the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. They were ready to help him set up his earthly kingdom. Jesus had made it clear that nation would rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There was going to be a clash of kingdoms. His disciples were ready to fight the the might of Rome, as Peter had proved with his sword. But Jesus' kingship transcended their small ambitions. His kingdom of light was coming against the kingdoms of darkness on this earth, ruled by Satan. The true king against the real pretender to the throne. And it's through the cross of Christ that Jesus, as king of the Jews, reigns. As the notice above the throne spells it out loud and clear for all the world to see and read. Here is the model of kingship that Jesus brings. Jesus taught, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus models kingship as sacrifice and surrender of self. For a further insight into Jesus' understanding of his kingship, let's for a moment turn to that encounter and the dialogue between Jesus and Pilate. Pilate himself described as a ruler and as a judge. We read how the the whole assembly of the Jewish leaders had rose after their illegal trial of Jesus and and led Jesus off to Pilate. Pilate asked the Jewish leaders, what charges are you bringing against this man? They begin to accuse him, saying, we found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be a messiah, a king. So Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? He brings the main charge against him. Jesus replies, you have said so, or can be translated as you say. See, Jesus is accepting the charge, but also questioning the question. Do you know what you are meaning by asking such a question? Do you know what you mean by king of the Jews? Jesus knows, you see, that Pilate is being played here. Is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? See, Pilate is piggy in the middle. And he asks, am I a Jew? Your own people, the the chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by Jewish leaders. So it shows Peter's poor understanding in that moment as he struck out. Jesus stopped it. Jesus continues, my kingdom, the Greek puts it, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, 
you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. In other words, whose side are you on, Pilate? It's time to choose. You know, for all of us, it's time to choose when it comes to Jesus. There's no sitting on the fence. Pilate is face to face with this Jesus, a king from elsewhere, an otherworldly king even. And here is a king who is outside of his comprehension and his comfort. This king brings a challenge to all our kingdoms. Here is a clash of kingdom concepts between Pilate and Jesus. Of course, Pilate is thinking of Herod, perhaps. He doesn't want Herod as an enemy here. He's got enough trouble on his hands with this posting to rebellious Jerusalem, trying to keep the peace with regular uprisings from the people and and a Messiah-like figure here and there trying to rise up and get the upper hand. He's had to brutally quash a, a few rebellions in his time. You know, he's got blood on his hands. In fact, he's, he's got a chap in prison right now called Barabbas who's been charged with murder and sedition doing a, an uprising. It's a good job he's got the uh, religious leaders in his pocket somewhat. Keep them sweet, keep them in power, they'll toe the line, we'll work together, keep the peace... Don't want any trouble, neither of us do. Otherwise, their temple worship's going to be disrupted. In fact, the eagle of the Roman Empire was recently erected in a prominent place just above one of the temple gates. And it reminds them the power is in Rome. You mustn't forget it. Herod spent a lot of money on this temple. But there's this Jesus standing before him. Is he a king? A king of whom? A king from where? See, Pilate can't get his head round this one. He went out and again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. You see, Jesus doesn't fit the bill. He, He doesn't fit the profile of a king. Certainly not one who's going to be a threat to the might of Rome. Pilate offers to release Jesus. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? See, he appeals to the people. Pilate knows Jesus is very popular with the people. They've held him, welcomed him just a few days beforehand. A politician to the heart. Pilate offers what he thinks the people want. Might earn him some popularity. He's not a popular leader. And he knows, in fact, that it's out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. So he's playing the people uh, against the leaders. But then things take an unexpected turn for the worse. See, people are so easily swayed by what we're promised, by what we're told. The chief priest stirred up the crowd to get Pilate to release Barabbas instead. They shouted back, No, not him, not Jesus. Give us Barabbas. Now Pilate knows the beginning of unrest when he sees it. So as an accomplished, people-pleasing politician, Pilate took Jesus 
and had him flogged. It's likely to be a lighter one of the floggings, but he would have come off pretty bad. Seeking to appease everyone, Jesus becomes an abused pawn in the political game. Here the soldiers, as we've heard, mock him as king of the Jews. And then Pilate parades this beaten, bruised and bloody mess of a king with the crown of thorns and a purple robe before them all. Surely this is enough for you. No one's going to follow him now. Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. Here is the man. And he offers them another chance. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? But as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Well, this is getting well at hand. As so often happens when we try to hold on to power and control events, And Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. He's not my problem. In other words, yes he is, Pilate. Jesus is your problem. And perhaps he's your problem here also. If you're trying to cling on to power. Trying to be king. Pilate's faced with a choice, isn't he? Christ or the crowd? And he tries to find a way to please all parties. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shout all the louder, crucify him. And the Jewish leaders insist, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die. Because he claimed to be the son of God. Ah, this is the real reason. Blasphemy. This Jesus claims to be divine. Well, we read, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? But Jesus made no reply. Not even to a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. This man, a king, the son of a god? This is the stuff of Roman legends. Pilate said, don't you realise that I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Now this, I suggest, got to Pilate's heart. For Pilate's all about power. From then on, we read, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. See, here's a real battle going on in Pilate's conscience. Would he do the right thing? God has got Pilate on the ropes. What's he going to be? A God pleaser or a people pleaser? But the Jewish leaders keep shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Well, this is the final straw. Pilate can't risk it. He makes his decision. When Pilate heard this, we read, he brought Jesus out 
and sat down on the judge's seat. But even then, Pilate has another last chance to do differently, to do what's right, to recognise Christ's kingship and his authority over him. For while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Pilate really goes and does it. He doesn't listen to his wife. He's really gone and done it now. Pilate presses in on the face of the, in the face of truth as Jesus, as the innocent king before him. He even declares him as such. Here is your king, Pilate says to the Jews. Notice, here is your king. Not here is our king, here is my king. Here is your king. They shout, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asks. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. They shout back, no, not him, give us Barabbas. They would prefer to have the well-known prisoner Barabbas, a murderer, walking their streets again, rather than Jesus. And here Pilate makes his final choice, and his motives are exposed. We read, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged, this is perhaps the second time and handed him over to be crucified. See, the fear of man triumphs over the fear of God. The judgment's passed. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the innocent criminal, the crucified king, soon to be the dead Messiah. I mean, who's ever heard of such a thing? Unimaginable. But of course it doesn't end in death. He is a living Messiah because he rose again from the death. And it's after his death and resurrection and ascension that the early church, through the epistles, the letters of the church, flesh out their understanding of Jesus as king and the kingdom of God, now enthroned and worshipped in heaven, along with God the Father, sharing the same throne. It's through the cross of Christ that we read in Revelation the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And so, thirdly, and finally and briefly, what does it mean for us today that Jesus is the King of of the Jews? Well, Herod, he saw Jesus as a threat to his throne. He's a threat to all our thrones, I'm afraid. He comes to rule in our place. We all want to be king, and we're tempted to cling to our own power, but Jesus is the King of kings, and what he wants is our unconditional surrender. The King of the Jews was also the King of the nations. One day, King Herod, the other King of the Jews, would die, and his body would be buried in a fortress tomb at Herodium. It's clearly visible. Ten miles south from Jerusalem, from where Jesus' empty tomb lay, the two kings of the Jews buried within sight of one another. Yet, 
one shows we cannot take our riches and rule with us. We have to let it go. And Jesus' tomb is empty. And then there's the Jewish leaders. They search hard for a way to get rid of Jesus, a, a threat to their power. They plot, they scheme, they conspire, they manipulate, they threaten. They find a way to make the resented Roman occupiers do their dirty work for them, appealing to their common fear of a loss of power. And then there's Pilate, a man of triumphing, uh, a, a, a man whose fear of man triumphs over his fear of God, not willing to stand up for the truth and suffer the consequences, but he washes his hands of the responsibility for his own choices and his own destiny. And even the disciples, uh, James and John and the others, hungry for honour and fame, jostling for position and power. Jesus, the King of the Jews, is King today. Whether we like it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, the Bible tells us that we reign with him or we reign not at all. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth of those who make Jesus king. If we try to keep our own throne, we will lose it. But he offers us to share his throne, the cross, to come and die with him. And it's only through death and resurrection that that rule comes. He offers an end to our insurrection, our rebellion, and offers us the gift of resurrection. See, insurrection will only end in abject failure, but resurrection with God brings true power to live life to the full. This day, accept, don't reject Jesus as Messiah King, as your conqueror and your deliverer. Surrender to him, be saved by him. You want to be with him, not against him. I mean, what does it gain you to have all the world and yet forfeit your own soul?